Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, Robert Turbin. Turbo, how's it going? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. What it do? What it do? You know where I'm at. I'm in the gym. <laughs> you know. <laughs> getting money. Getting gains. Like you know what I'm saying? Getting these gains. Yeah, I, I got a lot to make up for from the week of the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Too many expensive and, you know. Yeah. Just Turbo. spreads. What's the spread looking like though? Like what's the what's the go to for Super Bowl food? Oh, what's the go to for whatever's free? Okay, <laughs> whatever's free. All right, because I'm there, I'm working. Okay, but it's usually, I mean, listen, you get everything from sushi options to things that I don't even know what they're called, but it looks. <laughs> but good. you ate them anyways. You know what I'm saying? And I'm trying it. I'll take a little bite. It's like on top of a cracker, and it's got. Little, I don't know. It's got like cheese on top of it, and, and I don't know what I don't know what the protein is, but it it's some sort of fish, and you just try it because it's there, safe and bump, okay. And I did it too much, all right, over the week, so now I'm paying the piper a little bit. You know, I'm mostly upset that Bump isn't here because I know he'd be making fun. He would be making fun oh, of you. Exactly. Who, who you got Curtis. You got Curtis I'm in filling today. in for Bump today. Yeah. What's <laughs> up? What's up? He, he, know, he know what I'm talking about. I do, yeah. He know what it is. <laughs> well, I know that, well, you you mean to tell me that the world-famous biceps of Robert Turbin aren't God-given? You had to work for those? I had to do something, okay? I had to do a little something. Now, there was some genetics involved in there. Okay, I can't lie. But you got to water the plant. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Had to get some sunshine and everything to make sure that we were growing consistently. Fertilizer, (laughs) all of it. Hey, uh, Turbo, Curtis and I, before we brought you on, we're just talking about, like, similarities with Super Bowl teams. And he said in the last... Several, several teams that have been there. He feels like the theme is just they've got a great defensive line. And whether they win, whether they lose, like that's clearly where teams have separated themselves. Um, when you look at the Seahawks, what's maybe one thing? I know there are a lot, but what's one thing where you go, they still don't have this and Super Bowl teams do? Well, that's a, that's a really, really good question because there's a few different ways you can go, but you guys are talking about the defensive line. And I just think that, you know, I just feel like these teams that are, you know, even in the even in the final four, you know, Baltimore and Kansas City and 49ers, Detroit, they had you – know, there's either a player or a culmination of guys that just dominate the defensive line, you know. And, listen, we've got some good players on the defensive line, but I've talked about this before, you know, who's that guy and obviously – Chandler Wilson was injured this season, but you know who's the guy that's going to get you double-digit sacks each and every year? I mean, every single week that the game plan against Seattle, it's like, man, we got to make sure we got a tight end chipping this guy. We got to make sure we got a running back staying in the block to help the offensive line, you know, chip this guy, whatever the case may be. And you know, I'm just not so sure yet that you know Seattle has identified that player now. Again, 
New Orleans was injured, and I think that he commands a certain amount of attention uh, week in and week out because if you leave him one-on-one too many times, you know, he'll take advantage. Uh, but as far as some of the upper echelon players, respectfully, okay, the Watts, T.J. Watts of the world and the Bosons of the world, you know, I think that's something that takes the team a little bit to the next level. Turbo, on those Super Bowl teams you played on, the LOB obviously got the headlines. They they were, you know, the stars of the defense. But how vital was it uh, for that defensive line to, you know, yeah. how vital were they to the success of that unit? Yeah, no, I mean, we were led by our defensive line. Leader of the team was Red Bryant. You know, he didn't, he didn't uh, step up the stat sheet by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, he was our vocal uh, and emotional leader, man. You know, when it was time to get the guys ready to go, you know, it was Red Bryant. But... You know, not to mention, uh, you know, Bruce Irvin had nine and a half sacks his rookie year. Uh, Chris Clemens, you know, the, one of our veteran guys. I mean, he was double-digit sacks before he tore his ACL, you know, pretty much every season that he was with Seattle. So we had guys that just commanded attention amongst that defensive line. They may not have been, quote-unquote, household names, and that's what I'm saying. You don't really necessarily have to be a – household name but you definitely want to when you look at that film command the respect of the other team and say hey we've got to commit extra attention to these guys and the guys that we played with during those Super Bowl runs we definitely had guys Cliff Averill was definitely a guy that listen each and every week they're like yo we can't leave Cliff Averill one-on-one with anybody or it's over you know and so those are the kind of things yeah the LOB got all the attention but the difference maker was our defensive line. When you look at this Seahawks defense, I I wish that they could go out and get every single player that they want and that all of them would be stars, but obviously they only have resources to make a couple changes. So you are going to have to try to improve with a lot of the same pieces that you already have. Is there a player that you look at where you go, you know what, I really think with this new coaching staff or you know maybe just with another year under his belt, this guy could be special? Well, first of all, you know, I think Jackson Smith and Jig would take another step at wide receiver. But I also think that um, I think the same thing about DK Metcalf, and he's a veteran. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, I just think that there's still more out there for him to dominate this league. I mean, even statistically, you know, even when it comes to targets, when it comes to catches, when it comes to yards, like, he's to me that that's a guy that can be like a top five consistently every single year and I don't believe that his talent has yet been unlocked a hundred percent yet not not yet and so to me you know even though he's a veteran I look at him as a guy who can still like take so many more strides forward and really become dominant in the NFL Turbo, the NFL Combine starts next week you've got the interview portion before the workouts you went through the combine. Which which part of it were you maybe more nervous for? The interview or the the actual workout? No, I thought the interviews were gonna were, were you know I guess were the more nervous part of it. The physical aspect of it was just like I mean things that we do every day. I do cone drills every day. I do the ladder drill every day. I bench press not every day, but pretty much every <laughs> every you know. <laughs> Every week, you know, like these are things that are just, that just come natural to uh, someone that's playing. Now, I just have people watching me. Well, I got people watching me all the time, so it didn't make any difference. The interview part of it, though, you just didn't know what to expect. 
you know, what questions you were going to be asked. Some teams ask stupid questions like, say, the alphabet backwards. Like, for what? You know, like, what is this? <laughs> Why would you waste my time? We're trying to determine <laughs> if you're going to be a pro bowler. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, uh, though, you know, that part of it was probably the most nerve-wracking. But also uh, my favorite, especially the teams that did it right. What does doing it right look like? Like, what in your mind, if you got to be like in the Seahawks room as a scout or a member of the front office, and you were like, "Hey, here's a question that I kind of want to ask a player that that you think like this this would actually tell me a lot about someone and who he's going to be." Yeah, well, one of my favorite interviews was with uh, the Baltimore Ravens, and actually, that's where I thought I was going to get drafted, but they ended up drafting Bernard Pierce. Uh, I believe in the second or third round. Instead, uh, he was a running back out of Temple. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Coach Harbaugh, uh, he asked me to draw up my favorite play uh, that we ran at Utah State. and was a play called Gopher. Gopher left and Gopher right. And it was really like an overload play uh, to one side or the other. You'd, you'd line up an extra offensive lineman on one side, plus a fullback and a tight end. Uh, and, you know, there wasn't much deceptiveness to it. Uh, you knew it was, it was, you know, the play that was going downhill to that particular side that was loaded up, but it was, it was hard to stop. And it was one of the rare plays that you could create offensively where you can get essentially 11 on 11, uh, without the quarterback, and that, that doesn't really add up. But basically, it, it, it was designed to, to, to put me in a situation to be one-on-one with the safety. Every single person was blocked up on that front side. Uh, it's blocked up perfectly. And so I drew it up, and I, I love drawing up X's and O's. It was one of my favorite parts of the game. I, the reason why it was my favorite question, because it actually gave me an opportunity to uh, showcase my knowledge mm-hmm. of – football from an X's and O's standpoint and not only drawing up who's blocking who, but why and why this is my favorite place, similarly to what I just told you guys. So, um, so I think questions like that where you can really enhance the mind uh, of a player and, and see where they are from an IQ standpoint are always the best questions to go with. Turbo, one thing that John Schneider told Seattle Sports yesterday was that the new coaching staff would not be in attendance at the Combine, rather staying here in Seattle working on installs instead. What do you make of entire coaching staffs sitting out the Combine? Because this isn't something new. Like This is something I think the Rams have done, other teams have, have done. Is it more beneficial for the scouting departments or is it more beneficial for, for the coaches to get kind of their eyes and, and hands on these players? I would think that it would be beneficial for coaches to, you know, get their, get their hands, you know, get their eyes on see somebody up close. Uh, you want to talk about these meetings and things like that, that you have with, you know, players at the scouting combine. It's, you know, it's, it's a different field if you're doing those over Zoom or if you're, if you're not able to do that at all, you know, to have somebody walk into a room and how they sit down, you know, their, their, their whole mannerisms is, is something that you, I would think, want to get a, 
get a feel for. Uh, as far as the on-the-field portion, yeah, I can see, you know, where a coaching staff would say, listen, we don't – the film is going to tell us who this player is, not the 40. Most people have been sort of preaching that for a long time mm-hmm. anyway. So I can get it from, from that perspective. But as far as being able to meet somebody and, you know, look at them in the eyes and things of that nature, you know, I would think a coaching staff – uh, would want to be there, but if there's any one that I trust as far as uh, process is concerned, it, it's definitely John, who's one of the best in the business, John Snyder. And if they've got a plan and they feel like this is going to work, if you're a Seahawks fan, I would trust that. Well said. He is former player, current analyst Robert Turbin, kind enough to join us on this Friday at Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Turbo, you get back to those games, man. Get swole. Get swole. I am. I am. It's core time, baby. <laughs> ab, ab. Bye. Bye, Turbo. <laughs> uh, before we get to headline rewrites, can I just can I just try to sell you on this viral story again? About the restaurant. I in know Boston. it has nothing to do with sports, but it does. Just let me just give me thirty seconds, okay? Try and make it more succinct than it was during the commercial break. Okay. Okay. <laughs> a a person uh-huh. had to cancel last minute okay. a reservation at a very expensive restaurant in Boston. All right, I'm following. And the cancellation fee for this restaurant, because it's so ridiculously expensive, yes. is two hundred and fifty dollars. So the customer says, hey, I reached out to the restaurant. I said, I can't make it. I'm in the ER. I had to go to the hospital. Seems like a valid reason. Right. So sorry, can't do it. And uh, and he claims that the restaurant was like, too bad, so sad. Take it up with your credit card company. So he calls his credit card company. They tell him to call insurance. He gets it canceled. Great. Cool. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, because I was in the hospital, it's covered. The owner of the restaurant reaches out to him, finds him on Instagram, and basically is like, how dare you wow. and they go back and forth and back and forth so the customer has posted this being like this person is like dragging me person. and like posting to their own account the sports angle i've tried to find is that the owner of said restaurant is actually a former yankees reporter that well, covered of course it's that yankees covered reporter. mlb and the yankees for like 13 years wow and i've been doing some digging is is maybe notoriously not liked and like wow. like a, a, a hot mess express. Now, Did I do a better job this time? Yes, that okay. was better. Okay. Now I there was, I, w- I would say was a Yankees reporter who is no longer on the beat, who got in trouble about a year ago. For what? Do you is remember- it radio safe? What she said was not radio oh, safe. Oh, I do remember yeah. this. But I think it's a different person than what... Than, it is a different person. Okay. Which is a bummer because like, I've heard stories about the Yankees reporter that is no longer on the beat a year ago that kind of back up her not treating people well. Look at and this I was wondering, juicy gossip that dude, we're just dancing Yankees around. beat writers, man, I'm telling you. That's they what I'm think, saying. They think they are the story as well as the team. Well, because what I think happens when people cover teams, maybe this happens with like celebrity news too Mm -hmm. uh i think that people start to feel like they're famous so you start to feel like oh so many people are following me on twitter and few people in sports that are reporters 
or or whatever are followed because of their person. Like people follow Adam Schefter for news. Like Adam Schefter is a standalone brand. Uh, then you have personalities, right? Or former former yeah. players. So you have like Kay Adams, Mina Kimes, and then former players like Nate Burleson or whatever. And like people follow them for takes and insight and because they love them. Mm-hmm. And then there are people that are just kind of like, you follow me for info. And they get it in their head that you want them and not information about the team or player. It's wild. It's like a very weird, um, I think it's because of social media in large part. And I think there's this very weird addiction people have to the feeling of being famous. Yes, absolutely. And even the slightest amount of like notoriety or fame can change people. It makes them crazy. Yeah, in major ways. Uh, And I mean... I haven't necessarily seen it so much in this industry. I've been, you know, lucky to work with a lot of people that I like, but I, you definitely hear stories about how, like, oh yeah, this guy when he first started out, he was nowhere close to that. Like, I heard like a, a well-known like NFL beat writer or somebody like that. You know, when this guy started out, he was really humble, and now it's like he wouldn't even answer your text. That's if, wild if to me. Asked him to bring him on the show, and yeah. It it's weird. Fame, I think it's a um, fame uh, does a weird weird stuff too. I know. I think it's less like oh, this person's a bad person, and more there are things in all of us that uh, can be triggered, including bad things like a need for attention, uh, you know, a feeling of importance, a feeling of being special. Like every person has the capability, mm-hmm. I think, to succumb to feeling more important and better than other people. I know this. We got on such a weird. All that tangent. for two hundred fifty bucks. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you you put your reputation out there and potentially ruined it just so that you could yell at this person for a cancellation yeah. fee. And what are you doing with your restaurant having a two hundred and fifty dollar right? cancellation fee? That's insane. I'm moving on. It's time for headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. The Seahawks have restructured Geno Smith's contract, converting his $9.6 million roster bonus into a signing bonus. What's the real headline? It sure feels like Geno's going to be the starter in 2024. It does. Now, do we think that he's got the full support of the Seahawks front office, or is this just kind of... I can't tell. I think I think it was important to John Schneider, and he very intentionally mentioned Gino as an example. That everyone know that any player in the building is someone he has co-signed. It that there aren't guys in there that are just Pete guys, and you know I didn't want them here. Mm-hmm. And I think he mentioned Gino in particular because there are people that are naturally going to question. Well, Pete's gone. He was such a huge supporter of Gino. Does this mean Gino's gone? I do though think that because of his job as GM as opposed to a head coach. He naturally has to kind of have one foot out with with any player. You have to at any point be willing to pick up the phone on any right. player, to move on from any player, to think constantly about the organization, even in organization years ahead, as opposed to how do I get the best out of this guy right now? That's the job of the head coach. Yeah, and if I'm Mike McDonald right now and I'm looking at the quarterback situation in year one for me, you could do a lot worse than Geno Smith. And I think he's very cognizant of that. It's I think what we're going to see from the Seahawks and Geno Smith over the next year, maybe two is what we saw during Pete Carroll's first season when Matt Hasselbeck was still here. Like Hasselbeck was Pete Carroll's first ever starting quarterback with the Seahawks. But then after year one with Hasselbeck, 
They moved on from mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. They brought in Tavares Jackson. He was the bridge quarterback between Hasselbeck and Russell Wilson. And after that, everything kind of took off. Um, you know, look, John Schneider, he loves to attend these quarterback pro days. Everybody will tell you he was at Patrick Mahomes's. He was at Josh Allen's. They will never let you forget that. Uh, but I think what we see from the Seahawks quarterback spot in 2024 is going to look a lot like what it was in 2023. Maybe even Drew Locke is back too. Mm-hmm. So I need to respond to the text line, the 206. If people are getting reservations for a restaurant that costs that much money, it is true. It's a very expensive restaurant. They most likely can afford to pay that cancellation fee. The margins in most restaurants are notoriously bad. So they do things like that for fears to protect themselves. So they don't go out of business. I'm not mad at an obscenely expensive restaurant having an expensive cancellation fee. Like I would kind of know what I was signing up for as a patron. It's more wild that it's that the owner sought this person out to yell at them online. Like that's kind of wild. <laughs> Headline rewrites. Mariners start their cactus league schedule. Matt, can you get tomorrow. it together, please? I can't. Wow, it's wow. been a day, Stacey. <laughs> The Mariners start their Cactus League schedule tomorrow against the White Sox. What's the real headline? At least we won't be the brokest team on the field. I say that as though the Mariners are like constantly the brokest team, the poorest team. They're not. We all are Mariners fans. We all make jokes about wishing they'd open up Mm -hmm. their pockets a bit more. But oh my God, like... There's, there are moments of, like, at least you're not them, and I feel that way about the White Sox and how this roster's been managed. Yeah, the White Sox, they would have done everything to attend that restaurant to avoid the $250 cancellation <laughs> fee. They would have. They are so... <laughs> They're like, send an intern. We don't care. The White Sox are so poor. <laughs> Uh, I think they they're looking to build a new stadium in Chicago, like on the river, uh, and they want something ridiculous, like almost fully publicly funded. And it's like you have a billionaire owner in Jerry Reinsdorf, who not only owns the White Sox, but also owns the Chicago Bulls like he is loaded with cash. Make him pay for it. Or at least make him foot the bill for the majority of, of whatever new stadium is you're looking to build. Uh, but yeah, Mariners Cactus League. I I can't imagine we're going to see a ton from the regular guys. You'll probably see some guys who are projected to start opening day play for maybe like two or three innings. That's kind of how it, it goes early on in the Cactus League. But I'll, I'll be tuned in for sure just to get baseball back in in our lives. I agree. The Philadelphia Eagles had one of the wildest and weirdest declines and downfalls in the NFL this past offseason. And now there's a new theory, a weird one, as to why it happened. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Curtis Rogers in for Michael Bumpus. We're taking a look around the NFL, and we are going to start in the city of brotherly love, where apparently there wasn't much of it for the Philadelphia Eagles. They ended their season in a complete free fall. This after starting, what, 10-1, 9-1? We're all looking at this. They were rolling. We were all looking at this Eagles team thinking, look, Statistically, they aren't as good as last year. We know that there may be a little bit of uh, regression because they had 70 sacks and then they lost these defensive players. They lost their defensive and offensive coordinators. Surely there will be um, some kind of issue that pops up. That issue popped up in the form of bad defensive play, all kinds of issues switching with defensive coordinators, um, you know, drama with Jalen Hurts and, you know, whether or not there were issues there. And then it just never went away. Well, 
everyone's wondered, like, what happened with the Eagles? Like, why did they just completely, completely implode? One theory now is that it has to do with Dom DeSandro. Y'all remember the security guy Beg who pardon? got into the sideline argument and the shoved Dom DeSandro? Dom DeSandro, who shoved Dre Greenlaw. And then Dre Greenlaw got in his face, and I think Greenlaw was ejected, and Dom DeSandro was, like, suspended or something like that. So he wasn't allowed on the sideline anymore after that because, my guy, you can't shove players on opposing teams. I don't know what to tell you. Um, But apparently, Big Dom was in control of a lot of Sirianni's emotions on the sideline. So, according to Pro Football Talk, in his absence, or excuse me, Eagles reporter Derek Gunn, in his absence, quote, Nick gets in numerous arguments with players and coaches during games. So it was Dom keeping everything together. He was the glue. Big Dom was the big glue. The family. <laughs> uh, big Dom, if your championship hopes and aspirations <laughs> are resting on the decorum of your security guy, I don't think you were built for for a Super Bowl I don't think you're built for no. Super Bowl contention. And to be completely honest, if your head coach allegedly can't stop getting into fights <laughs> with players and other coaches, I'm not seeing this as old school coaching no. with Bill Belichick, like my way or the highway. So, so don't read this as Nick Sirianni just being disciplined and doing whatever. I'm hearing this report as Nick Sirianni being unprofessional, being way too emotional and not acting as poised as a head coach should. Like, you can be, you know, a tough guy. You can be uh, not smiley and not positive. Yeah. You don't need to be Pete Carroll chewing your gum, smacking guys on the butt, telling them, you know, great job or whatever. But I don't know. That just it seems like unbecoming of a head coach. Kind of weird. And I've loved Nick Sirianni as head coach in Philly because he feels so reflective yeah. of, like, the energy of the city. But maybe too much in this case. Did you also, though see uh, that there was this separate report, and I don't know if it's since been followed up on, but um, FS1, Craig Carton, this was from a couple days ago. This was from the... uh, Yeah, he got into it with Schefter about this. So I didn't hear about the Schefter thing, so the background is, this is what he said about it. It's a problem, meaning the real reason the Eagles collapsed, it's a problem that would splinter any group of men, any group of men. It's a real significant problem, and it cannot be fixed. I will tell you that. I'm not going to say anything more than that. It will be interesting to see if a high-profile player will be with them next season. (laughs) I don't know that anyone believes that he's actually got information on this. Like, it could just be, I don't have to be specific. I'm just going to say, yeah, posturing. What did Adam Schefter say to him? He Schefter didn't necessarily name Craig Carton uh, by name, but he did text somebody in the Eagles organization that he knows and was like, is there any truth to this? And the person in the Eagles organization was like, no, absolutely not. And so then Schefter responded without naming Craig Carton being like, here's what an Eagles source told me about Dom DeSandro. Um, I think Carton and Schefter have kind of had it out for each other in the past. Mm. So a uh, little beef there, but this cut from Julian Love uh, prior to him becoming a Seahawk, he was on Good Morning Football talking about Nick Sirianni, mm-hmm. has always rang in my head every every time like Sirianni ever did anything. And then Love had that incredible game against the Eagles on Monday Night Football. You know, he's a guy who really is doing a great job because he's not getting his in the way of his team. 
He has an experienced roster uh, from top to bottom, offense, defense. You see this stuff, though? Like, what's your reaction as a player? And that guy's doing that. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like it at all. I mean, he's, he's in for a free ride right now. You guys can coach this team and they can succeed. <laughs> Not getting in the way of his team and didn't like his antics on the sideline. Granted, former giant, right? Rivalry yeah. there naturally with divisional foes. But I think for the most part, guys don't say anything bad or take a shot unless they actually don't like someone. That's very interesting. Um, A a just-released player, or soon-to-be-released player, uh, Pro Bowl cornerback Xavier Howard of the Dolphins. Mike Urofalo has that. Mm. Are Um, you surprised that the Dolphins' secondary didn't light the world on fire that everybody thought it was going to this uh, year with like Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard? I mean, mean, they had to play, if I'm remembering correctly, a good chunk of the season without Jalen Ramsey, right? Or was that last year? That was this year, yeah. Yeah, so I mean... I don't know that I ever thought that the identity of the Miami Dolphins was going to be that they are incredibly balanced. They were offensively, but that they're incredibly balanced. And I think they were always going to have to try to uh, put up as many points as possible. And by that, I mean, be an exceptionally high scoring offense. But I did have higher expectations overall for how their defense would perform. Um, It's a tough conference. I mean, Mm -hmm. you didn't have an exceptionally difficult schedule, but... It is not easy playing the Bills. It's not easy uh, facing Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. You know, they would have had a tough road to a Super Bowl. Um, Aren't they dealing? I think they might be dealing with a a little bit of a cap situation, though. I think they're one of those teams that's, if I'm remembering correctly, maybe not. Yeah, and then also you got to kind of wonder is Yeah, they have the third least, excuse me, third, yes, I said it, third least cap space. I couldn't tell if I was saying that right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. Move- it's Friday. Yeah, it's, it's a Friday, guys. Uh, moving on. You found this story. You actually thought this was really interesting. Yeah. Sean McVay's hired a game management coordinator to help him with timeout management. I actually think this is really smart. And I think when you're an NFL team that has millions and millions and millions to spend on, you know, whatever coaches and help that you want, why not bring in someone that can make you the very, very best? Yeah, McVeigh was asked about uh, the hire of this guy, John Streicher, uh, and McVeigh flat out said the reason why he's here is to, so I don't use my timeouts in the second half until I need to. Uh, I think also he'll help with like down and distance scenarios, mm-hmm. like what do we do here if it's fourth and seven from your opponent's 48-yard yeah. line, do you go for it or not? Um, I, I think, think it's a very cool position. I do. I think this is a very, very interesting move to have been made by the Rams organization. I think other teams will probably follow suit. Uh, I know uh, Danny O'Neill, who used to host here, he all the time would champion for teams to hire somebody like this. Because, I mean, we saw it with Pete. That guy would throw, he would call timeout. In the weirdest no, places. Yeah, and no matter, yeah. And then he would throw his challenge flag when it was like, I don't know. I don't think you should challenge that play. So with all that, like coaches have to deal with in terms of play calling in terms of X's and O's to take that off their plate. I don't know. It could be beneficial. I think so too. And I wonder if other teams are going to follow suit. Um, We uh, are going to get to the Mariners. I know that uh, Cactus League play uh, begins tomorrow. Spring training already here. Uh, The start of the regular season, believe it or not, right around the corner. So we're going to bring on the Seattle Times Mariners reporter, Adam Jude, to talk about spring training, everything uh, that he's excited to see out there, some expectations for new and old 
uh, players. Before we get to that, though, let's get back to this salary cap and what it actually means for the Seahawks. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Checking in on the Mariners of Spring Training coming up in 15 minutes with Seattle Times Mariners reporter Adam Jude. Before we get to that, the league officially announced its salary cap. $255.4 million. That is up $30 million from last year. I believe it's the biggest single-year growth uh, for any salary cap. Now, it means a couple things for the Seahawks, and it means a couple things for free agency, so let's go over it. The first thing it means for the Seahawks is, Curtis, you automatically have $13 million in salary caps. All right, $13 million we didn't have yesterday. Great. Fantastic. I love finding $13 million. <laughs> that feeling of finding a fresh $13 million Man. bill. <laughs> What I would do to find a fresh $13 million just laying around, (laughs) unspeakable things. I just wouldn't touch it. I'd be like, that's fake. That's not real. That's monopoly money. I'm going to jail if Um, I touch this. The Seahawks are still going to need more room. uh, But if we keep it isolated to Seattle for the first part of our conversation, what does today's announcement mean for John Schneider? It means for John Schneider, it means you do have a little more wiggle room. And I think it also means maybe one of these guys that you were hesitant to move on from, maybe you keep them around. That's what I was wondering. I think of like a Quandre Diggs or somebody like that, where I I, I don't think the Seahawks should move on from Quandre. I, I think he is still a valuable member of the Seahawks secondary, but now you've got a little more wiggle room. Uh, I look at... Dre Jones is I mean, another Will guy. Disley. Yeah, well, Disley is another name, too, that could be uh, potentially saved by this added cap space. We, we, like you said, we never see the cap explode like this ever in mm-hmm. the NFL, going up $30 million in one offseason. I mean, that is a a very nice, uh, very nice little treat that all, every all 32 teams are going to get in the NFL this season. Um, so maybe it means that one of these guys who we've kind of wondered – whether or not there's going to be space for him, uh, you know, maybe they get to keep him. Do you feel like one of those guys will be Jamal Adams? I do not. You still feel like I, no matter what, it could yeah. have gone up forty million, and they're still going to move on. I think so. I just think you have tried to wring out that towel too many times, and there's just nothing left. And do I think Jamal Adams can still be a productive NFL player? Maybe in the right scheme, but. The Seahawks have given up too much for him, and they have gotten not enough in return. Uh, I forget who it was. It may have been Brad Spielberger, who we had on yesterday from Pro Football Focus when talking about uh, extending Leonard Williams. He said something like, you know, you don't want to extend somebody just because you gave up a ton for them. Like Mm -hmm. that's a terrible reason to extend somebody. Like you want to extend them because they've given you or could give you positive value. Right, not out of pride. Exactly. And I think that was a big reason why – I think that was a big reason why Jamal Adams got that big extension is because they had given up so much for him. And he did have a good 2020 season, I thought, when he was out there, had the nine and a half sacks, uh, had a couple of games where he was definitely a difference maker on defense. But then I think they got caught up paying for past value and future value just never, ever was able to live up 
to the uh, to the dollar number that they gave him. I agree. It's really hard to stomach what would be twenty million in dead cap. I say that knowing you could cut that to ten million in twenty twenty four, ten million in twenty twenty five. Though it would be post June first, so you would not have that. Um, how you know seven million, whatever it is that you'd save mm-hmm. to spend in this free agency period. I think based on the move with Gino, they're very interested in freeing up as much space as they can now. Uh, so I don't know if it'll be a post June first kind of cut designation for Jamal. This is just me guessing. I have no idea. Um, because moving Gino's money right away means like we want, we need as much as we can right now. Yes. So we'll add to the credit card. We'll, we'll take the 20 million if it means we've got seven now. That makes me think with them needing that cap space up front that they are going to be active with trying to re-sign some of their guys that are coming up for free agency before the league year officially opens during that legal tampering period. Mm -hmm. Maybe they needed that extra cash for a Leonard Williams extension. Maybe, uh, you know, they needed that for Jordan Jordan Brooks. Brooks, Either of your two tight ends, Colby Parkinson and Noah Fant, both set to hit free agency. So there's a obvious reason that, you know, we're probably not privy to because we're not in those meetings, but... The Seahawks needed that cash up front. They they needed J.G. Wentworth. It's my money, and I need it now. <laughs> uh, and that's what they got yesterday with moving Geno Smith's contract around like they did. Uh, I, I would imagine that they are going to be very busy here over the next couple of weeks because just so many roster decisions to be made with so many key guys. Mm-hmm. I can't ever remember, Stacey, maybe you can – Entering into a Seahawks offseason where it's like, this guy could be a cut candidate. This guy could be a cut candidate. This guy could be a cut candidate. Not this many. Like key contributors? I would say key contributors, but also guys that you would be perfectly fine with being on the roster this upcoming season. Like, I'm used to seeing something where you go, yeah, this guy's a cut candidate because he's getting older and he's coming off an injury. Here's like a Richard Sherman scenario. Here's a scenario of someone who um, this team is probably eventually going to move on from and... You know, they might as well just do it now and save money. Looking at your top salaries, these are all guys that you would expect to be starting next year. DK, Tyler, Gino, uh, Quandre, Jamal. Those are your top uh, five salaries, if I did my math <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then throw Dre Jones in there, right? So your top six salaries, all of those guys are starters, and none of those guys are especially older um, outside of Gino, but he's a quarterback. Uh there are also some fan favorites in here, like Tyler Lockett. Right. In theory, you look at his contract and you go, I can see on paper why he is a prime candidate for a contract restructure or or something to move this money around. I really hope, this is your heart speaking, your fandom speaking, that whatever decision is made doesn't result in Tyler Lockett not being on the roster. Right. That would be a weird reality that we would find ourselves in if Tyler Lockett was not a Seattle Seahawk uh, going forward. Because, yeah, he just feels like somebody that's going to be a career Seahawk. He spent so many years already here, has had, you know, has basically the second most productive wide receiver in franchise history behind Steve Largent in terms of just total numbers. Um, but I don't know, Stacey, looking at his his cap hit, which is $27.8 million coming up on this season, which is 10.6% of the, I think, or I forget what No, percentage. that's about right. Prior yeah. to the whatever total being released today, it was like 11-something percent, and Gino's yeah. was 12%. So for anyone looking at, like, how oh, Gino feels like a mm-hmm. lot, that's kind of the 
area Tyler Lockett's in right now. I still kind of feel, though, that he's due for a restructure, even with the added cap space. Because I think the Seahawks just want to have as much as possible. And I think Tyler also is a guy that is, I think he has sacrificed of himself quite a bit over the course of his Seahawks career and probably would be willing to stay here in Seattle if it meant having to move that contract around a little bit. But yeah, there the added cap space opens up a world of possibilities that we didn't know even would be existing prior to today because all of a sudden now you've got a little more breathing room. Everybody's got a little more breathing room. It's going to make the free agent market, I think, a lot more competitive. I wonder if we're going to see some pretty exorbitant salaries, guys resetting the market all yeah. over the place. Yep. Uh, maybe it reminds, maybe it, it's reminiscent of the year when like Christian Kirk got that huge deal uh, with Jacksonville. Well, and then all these receivers after him are like, I want that money. I'm glad you mentioned receivers because I'm looking at Chicago, which obviously has DJ Moore. They're going to have a high draft pick that most people are expecting. This is their second pick to use on a guy like Roma Dunze. I'm wondering if they're going to throw money at T. Higgins or Mike Evans or someone else uh, and try to just create this unreal room of weapons for Caleb Williams. Because I don't know yeah. that they can fix the trenches and have the perfect defense. And t- like, I wonder if they're going to be like, okay, then we are going to give this guy everything we possibly can. But that's m- more of me thinking like a like fantasy football GM and yeah. less like a realistic g- GM because. <laughs> I don't know that you should throw that much money at a, a, a group of wide receivers, especially uh, in the case of Evans, an incredibly effective but aging receiver. So Yeah, I'd still take Mike Evans, even oh, at this age. Uh, all right, you guys. Um, well, the Seahawks season is over. I know that's why we're talking about the offseason, but another season is just beginning. The Mariners are kicking off pack. Uh, excuse me, Cactus. Now I'm Matt. Cactus League play this weekend. Seattle <laughs> Times reporter Adam Jew joining us from spring training next.